Welcome in, everybody. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We're up until 6.10 today. Then it's Red Sox baseball. Sox taking on the Rockies again, looking to avoid the sweep. Hard to believe we're saying that, considering the Rockies were the worst team in the National League coming into this series. Joining us now is our Sox insider over in Nesson, Tom Karen. TC, how are you? Doing well, Brady. How are you doing? Oh, I'd be doing better if the Sox would win. Also, if the Sox could play games that end in nine innings would be nice. Three consecutive extra inning affairs, two of them are losses. Uh, what's going on right now with this team? Yeah, I don't know. It's really <clears throat> starting to crater out a little bit, it feels like. Uh, just uh, the, the defense we know has been sloppy. The The offense has just gone ice cold. They've dropped to eighth or ninth now in runs scored. That's something they were leading baseball in a lot of the season. You just... I think it was one for nine runners in scoring position last night. Um, it's been well under 200, the batting average with runners in scoring position over the last 10 days. Uh, they, they seem to just be grinding and pressing so much that that one hit that could break open a game or the one pitch that could end an inning. Uh, seven of the last 10 runs they've given up have come with two outs. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a very thin margin. But when you're stressing and you're pressing and you're trying to do everything, you know, as Kevin Malarjo is trying to hit a five-run home run every time you're at the plate, uh, it just all falls apart. And and right now, you know, you're two games under 500. The worst you've been all season is three games. Uh, I was looking back at this date last year, you were four games over 500. So this team right now is worse than last year's team, and we know how that worked out. You know, the team, Alex Corey yesterday said they're making some – adjustments to the lineup defensively. We saw that yesterday. Turner playing first, Casas at DH. Kike's not going to play shortstop. With the – and I Kike has a spot on this roster right now. I, I perfectly see that. But with the glut of outfielders that are there, with Yu Chang coming back soon and Arroyo at second and Story eventually, does Kike maintain his roster spot on this team through the trade deadline? That's a great question, and, and he, you know, he'd be a really valuable guy for a contender because he plays multiple position. It, you know, what, and the role he had all those years in, in, in L.A. was not an everyday player, right? Uh, he mm-hmm. was a guy who would play center field today, play second base tomorrow, not play the next day, come in as a reserve the next day. Uh, came here and became one of the better center fielders in baseball. So let's not – forget what he did in the outfield over the last couple of years and what he did in 2021 in the playoffs that essentially carried this team uh, through the first couple of rounds. Uh, the experiment has failed uh, at shortstop. We know that 14 throwing, uh, 14 errors, 13 throwing errors, uh, but the 14 is the most of anybody in any position in baseball. Uh, and now there's no room to put him back in the outfield. You've got Duvall back. You've got Duran getting his opportunity, Yoshida and Verdugo, uh, eventually, Trevor Story is going to be back. Maybe Yu Chang before that. So there's even less room in the infield. I, you know, it's hard to imagine Alex Cora trading one of his favorite players or or giving the thumbs up to trading one of his favorite players. But if he's not going to play last night, you know, we, we understand why he wasn't starting because of the defense. Uh, but he but he stayed on the bench. The bases loaded, and Ray is getting an opportunity. He didn't get that chance. Uh, and and so I don't know what the future. I think he's probably going to be in there again with a lefty today. So for all the talk, it'll probably be a short. Uh, but it's not going to happen much. And and Kike Hernandez has value to somebody. Uh, certainly more value than sitting on the bench in an extra inning loss. All the talk, you know, it, I I read things constantly about what's wrong with Rafael Devers. What's wrong with Rafael Devers? Devers is in a funk, and and some of that was true. But you know, for all that, Devers has you know. 
four homers in his last four games or whatever. Had a two-home run game last night. Almost had another one the night before that was robbed by by Nolan Jones in right field. Where do you where are you at with Devers right now? Well, I, I do think sometimes he may be trying to press a little much. I mean, it's still the second highest OPS on the team. He's got an eight eleven OPS. The batting average is down, and he's always been a guy who can hit for average. You know, guys, you're talking about it last night. If he goes on a little two or three week tear, he probably gets his batting average back up to 270, 280, and then we're not having this conversation at all. But, uh, you know, has he tried at times to maybe play up to the contract? Uh, has he t- tried at times to maybe do too much while the rest of the lineup is struggling? I think maybe. You know, I, I think that makes sense. You know, he was, he's always been a guy who said, oh, I'm not a leader. I'm not, a, you know, I'm just a good player and, and I do my thing and, and leave the leadership stuff to others. And, that's part of the reason Justin Turner is here, and it's part of the reason that 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 Kenley Jansen is here, uh, who's a leader, even though he's a pitcher. Uh, you know, I, Robbie Devers is a guy you got to leave alone and let him do his thing, and I think he'll do it very well. The power's there. Uh, you know, he said last night a pair of two-run home runs, uh, and he should have had one to to win the game in the ninth inning the night before that. Uh, I I just wonder sometimes it, it's really hard to ever analyze Robbie Devers when he's going. Remember last year at one point. I think he had swung and missed at like 23 or 24 consecutive fastballs. Yeah. It was a big story. They just kept throwing fastballs, couldn't hit him, and then he went on a tear. But when he goes through those little slumps, it's on the other night, right? Bases loaded, three straight hits. He comes up in the first inning. You're like, all right, here we go. Swings in the first pitch, change up, one, two, three, double play. They never score a run. They lose the game. And, and you're right away saying, you know, why is he swinging at the first pitch in that situation? But his OPS is like 12-something on the first pitch. That's who he is. He's an aggressive hitter, and sometimes that drives you nuts. Uh, but it's it's made him one of the best hitters in baseball. Tom Karen, Sox Insider over at Nesson with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. You know, it's interesting. I, I think if we look at the back of Rafi Devers' baseball card at the end of the year, it's probably going to read what we want it to read. And I'm kind of thinking about the same thing with the Mariners and Teoscar Hernandez, who was awful early but has been much better late and will probably end up fine by the end of the year. That's all great, I guess, for the player when we're talking about contract stuff and legacy and all that. But how detrimental is it to a team when it takes a guy two months to start to really get going? They may end up okay, but how much damage have you suffered in the two months where they weren't okay? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it all depends what's happening and what the guys around them are doing. You know, one thing that Red Sox did at the beginning of this year is there was always someone stepping up, right? Yeah. You had different guys contributing. Verdugo was hitting walk-off shots. Justin Turner was delivering in clutch situations. The first nine games of the year, Adam Duvall was was scorching hot. Uh, now it feels like if Devers doesn't deliver, the lineup isn't doing anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Connor Wong has cooled off a ton. Kike Hernandez, his bat, uh, along with the glove, but the bat has cooled off. So I, I think a lot of that really, you know, good teams have different guys contributing, right? The bottom of the lineup will carry you for a couple of days. Then your clutch hitters come back. Uh, but but sometimes it's as simple as you need your best hitter producing every night. And if he's not, you're in trouble. You know, we talked about this last week on the show, the idea of Alex Cora being interested in that University of Miami job. And uh, Carl Ravish had put that out on Twitter, Cora quickly shot it down, so I guess the story is dead. But I, I'm curious, this seems like it would have been the time for Cora to go to the Red Sox with some kind of leverage. Like if he's ever wanted something, whether it's more control or stay out of my business or something, this would have been the time to go to the Red Sox with that leverage. Do you think there's anything that Cora wants? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. He's under contract through the end of next year. I mean, let's not forget, he has a contract. I mean, this isn't a guy who's a free agent or even approaching free agency. It's going to get real interesting here if this team continues to struggle because, you know, most teams, and the Red Sox are right there with them, will rarely let a manager go into a lame duck season without extending. Uh, and, and so that would believe that would lead you to believe at some point over the next few months, the team and Cora dive into negotiations of a contract extension beyond next season. Uh, is that going to happen if the team is struggling? <clears throat> is High and Bloom on any kind of hot seat? You know, the four years uh, has been as long as all his predecessors got for the most part, certainly the last few. Uh, and, and that's where he is now. And, and like I said, the team is performing uh, b- behind last year's team. So I don't know. I, I don't know if Cora's got leverage right now or, of course, trying to wait out and sift through some of this to see if this team can, can get traction. But, again, which keep me, you know, he's under contract through the end of next year. So it's not like you can march in there and say, hey, I'm leaving to go to Miami unless you give me something. A lot of talk last week about the Matt Dermody situation, the social media uh, uproar there. He was designated for assignment. He's still in the organization. The team has said, you know, they'll improve their vetting processes, et cetera. The thing that stuck out to me through all of this was Hyam Bloom telling the media that Matt Dermody apologized and Hyam Bloom was satisfied with that. I guess my question is, what did Matt Dermody apologize for? Did he apologize for feeling the way he feels or did he just apologize for tweeting what he tweeted? I think some people will react differently based on the answer to that question. Yeah, and I don't know what he apologized for to Haim Bloom because Haim didn't tell us that. I know that what he said to us is he apologized that his tweet hurt people. So that's not apologizing for what you tweeted. That's apologizing for tweeting it, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. apologizing for the, the, the reaction to your tweet. And, and Alex Spear did an interesting dive today in the, in the Globe saying that there was other uh, 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 hateful, hurtful tweets they uncovered from Dermody over time and that they are reexamining a lot of their processes. I just, you know, I, I like Haim Bloom. He's, I like him as a person and I understand his vision for the long term. I'm not 100% sure he gets the, the time to, to see that through because mm. it's a process. You're, you're trying to contend now while rebuilding. And that's always difficult. I just thought there was absolutely no reason to do that last week. There's, there's a thousand Matt Dermodys in the world, uh, 9,999 or whatever I'm trying to say, uh, 999 of whom don't have that history, don't have those tweets. You could have found someone else that, yeah. Rio Gomez was pitching in AAA Worcester that day. Uh, would they, now, he's the opposite, right? An amazing story who lost his father and is pitching in his memory. Could have thrown him out there to give you four innings. Well, couldn't they just start Kluber, who they brought in relief anyway? Could have started Winkowski. Could have started any <laughs> number of guys here and patched it together. You didn't need to do it. I know you had the roster spot. And and if this guy was, you know, the second coming of, of Nolan Ryan, uh, I can maybe understand putting up with the crap that came with it. But he's a journeyman. He's a ham and egger. He's a guy who, who hasn't done anything, even at the AAA level, hasn't been that good. Why bring all of that into the middle? You know, it's like, it's like when the Bruins drafted the guy last year and it became a big story, right? And the mm-hmm. players stepped up and said, we don't want to deal with this. What do you think the, the Red Sox wanted to deal with this? Whether they believed in what he said, didn't believe, believed in what the team was doing, didn't believe, whatever the case. They, the last thing this team needed last week on the eve of going into the Yankee Stadium was was dropping that contract. They kind of got 
swept away because they won two out of three in New York and you thought they were stabilizing. Uh, but man, I just thought it was tone deaf and it was bad timing. Tom Karen, TC, hey, real quick, I know you're happy for Bruce Cassidy getting the championship yesterday. I am. I am. I, you know, and, and it doesn't mean, oh, the Bruins never should have fired him. They would have gone to him. Yeah, whatever. I, I, I do believe the Bruins felt they needed a new voice in the room. Uh, you know, I, I think part of Krejci coming back was a different, uh, a different coaching voice. Part of DeBrusque's development was a different coaching voice. And not because they hated Cassidy, but just a different guy with a different message. Okay, so, so let's put that aside. Bruce Cassidy is a quality individual. Could not be happier for him. He's a great guy. He's got his name on the cup. Uh, went out there. And, you know, I remember when, when, when he signed with Vegas, I said, well, here you go. And either he's going to be the guy to get Jack Eichel to become what he can be, or we're going to find out that Jack Eichel is a certified coach killer. And uh, in the end, Cassidy was the right guy. I'm happy for him. I'm happy for Jack Eichel, who I covered at BU and is a, a really good dude, just needed to be in the right place. Uh, Buffalo was not that right place. I don't think Buffalo's the right place for anybody. Uh, but I, you know, it was a, a perfect landing spot for him. So, so couldn't be couldn't, happy for Dave Gosher, the play-by-play voice of the Vegas Golden Knights. A um, lot of good people out there, and uh, what they've done to bring uh, a Stanley Cup to the desert is uh, really, really impressive.